Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today on the show is Bruce Upchurch, the new director of campus security at Cedarville. He brings more than 30 years of law enforcement experience to his role, which includes the Greene County Sheriff's Office and the Oakwood Public Safety Department. He has been a canine handler for criminal investigations and a sniper with a SWAT unit. Enjoy this conversation with Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and I trust you have been enjoying our recent podcasts and that you're looking forward to another compelling story today on the program. My guest today is a man who is passionate about his profession because he views it as a ministry. I'm talking about Bruce Upchurch, Cedarville University's new director of campus security. Bruce started in this role on June 1st after serving for decades in various law enforcement roles in southwestern Ohio. Bruce attended Cedarville back in the 1980s as a student, but he decided to transfer to another Christian university so he could earn a degree in criminal justice. Today, that wouldn't be necessary, given that Cedarville has a very strong criminal justice program led by former Cleveland Police Chief Dr. Patrick Oliver. Bruce loves the culture at Cedarville University, and it's my honor to welcome him to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. It's good to be here. What's it been like the first few months at Cedarville? Oh, first uh, couple months here, I've, I've been here for two months, and it has been a massive learning curve. There are so many moving parts at Cedarville University. Yeah. That's probably been the probably the biggest thing to try to adjust to and learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I've had an absolute blast learning it. I love to be challenged. I like to learn. And... Uh, I feel uh, Cedarville so far has been a, just a perfect fit for me right now. So, Well, you seem like a great fit from our little bit of interaction, and I look forward to working with you down the road. Um, but I'm interested, and as I said in the introduction, that you've spent decades in law enforcement. Yes. So 30 years plus. 30 years, yeah. Um, what motivated you to pursue a career in law enforcement? Well, I think, uh, you know, always in, always in the beginning, I think you have a desire to uh, to help people. And that's really what it has been. I mean, you always want uh, getting in this field. For me, I wanted to be uh, somebody that would be able to help others, you know, um, people who are in traumatic situations. You wanted to be the you wanted to be a part of yeah. being able to help people out. Um, and I think that's really why a lot of us get into this. It's definitely not for the money. Uh, it's, you know, some of it's for the thrill, but uh, really, ultimately, I think it's uh, it's just kind of a heart to serve. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I came from is just the, a heart to serve others. Yeah, I hope you don't have a lot of thrilling moments here at Cedarville. Oh, no, I, ho- I hope not. I don't know if I will. But uh, yeah. yeah, I've had enough thrilling uh, parts throughout my career. Yeah, I, I want to talk, talk about that later yeah. in the podcast because I know you held yeah. some some unique roles in yes. law enforcement. Um, but going back to, uh, you, you've been working for 30 years in law enforcement. What led you to this job at Cedarville now? Okay. Um, yeah, throughout my 30 years, I actually had retired. I had worked for the Green County Sheriff's Office. I ended up going to Oakwood, uh, working uh, for the city of Oakwood. Um, retired with 27, almost 28 years of law enforcement from Oakwood. I uh, spent about six months working as a medical administrator for a company called MedCorp. Um, out of the blue, um, Jimmy Combs, who is the current chief for Cedarville um, PD, called me, and we really hadn't talked in about 12 years, And uh, but we had worked together at the sheriff's office. 
And uh, he called me out of the blue and asked me to come and be a part of, be his captain for Cedarville uh, Police Department. Um, it was probably um, three weeks after I had uh, been sworn in. Um, Jimmy and I, the chief and I, were standing at the 2019 commencement, uh, May 4th, 2019. Yeah, yeah. And I'm standing there in the field house, and I was just kind of overcome with this feeling of, this is where I want to be. This, yeah. this is it. And uh, what was kind of cool was uh, Jimmy kind of stood next to me, and yeah. he says, hey, when Doug retires, you need to take his job. This yeah. would be perfect for you. Yeah. And so what was cool was that um, he said it before I did, so I didn't really have to bring it up to him. Yeah. And we were kind of both on the same page. And it was really cool because he was not that kind of guy to hold you back. If you had a z- desire for something, he wanted yeah. to encourage you to do it. So yeah. that was really that moment for me that I realized this is where I wanted to be. What brought you to that commencement service? Uh, well, we were security there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every uh, commencement, they always have Cedarville police. So you were working there? I was working there. Yeah. Okay. So I was working there as, as, as a captain. That's really neat that uh, working the detail at Cedarville yeah. ultimately led you to uh, this position. Yes. So in the position that you held, whether at Oakwood or Cedarville or wherever else, at Greene County, yeah. um, you held various roles, including being a canine handler, yes. a SWAT officer yes. or leader, and a sniper. I'm really curious about that. Yeah. How difficult was it to perform these roles at a high level? And which ones, or which one was most gratifying for you? Um, you know, to perform at a high level really took a lot of commitment. It took a lot of training. Uh, if you're going to be a sniper, you got to spend a lot of time on the range, and you're recording in your dope book. Every bullet you throw down the range, you have to record. Really? Uh, that requires a lot of time. So spend a lot of time behind a rifle, uh, a lot of time just practicing some of the uh, the techniques uh, for being a sniper. Um I did that for about two years uh, with the SWAT team. During that, and I was with the SWAT team for, for eight years. I was there uh, from the, the beginning of the SWAT team uh, and was there kind of for the transition between the uh, Greene County SWAT team, the Xenia SWAT team, and we made it the Greene County Regional SWAT team. Okay. Um, as far as uh, canine goes, that probably, that took a lot of work. When you're a canine handler, you take that dog home with you. That yeah. dog is with you 24-7. Family, right? He's like your family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids all grow attached to him. Um, but uh, that requires a lot of training. I spent a lot of time off-duty uh, laying tracks, um, hiding drugs. I mean, we would keep drugs given to us by the DEA. Uh, we keep those with me. And uh, we would hide drugs, run tracks. You know, um, We would train weekly with groups, uh, other uh, canine handlers. Uh, so it was just an all-in commitment. When you're doing it, you are all in, yeah. and it is somewhat all-consuming. Yeah, yeah. When you're in it, so I'm gonna go back to the sniper just because. Yeah. I, I had one experience in my life where yeah. I, I saw a sniper. So this yeah. was I know this is your story, but so I was in Pittsburgh and we were hosting an event at a university where I was working. Yes. And Benjamin Netanyahu was our speaker mm-hmm. downtown Pittsburgh. Yeah. And it was an evening lecture, and as I walked into the hall. From the street, there there were parking garages around the building, uh-huh. and every floor of the parking garage there were multiple snipers. Did you have an experience like that? I did not have that level of experience. No, I mean ours were more uh, incidences out in the county, drug raids, SWAT raids, um, uh, hostage situations, barricaded subjects, and such. So a lot of that was more um, 
in the county okay. uh, more than anything. Um, probably some in the city of Xenia too. Um, but uh, yeah, mostly in the rural setting is where I was at. Okay. So perhaps for the pe- those listening to the program today, they'll agree that our world continues to change mm-hmm. and unfortunately not for the better. Nope. Um, with that thought in mind, mm-hmm. Bruce, how has the chaos and turmoil of our fallen world impacted you as a police officer? Um, you know, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, there, I have had many moments um, towards the end of my law enforcement career where it was extremely overwhelming. I mean, yeah. overwhelming emotionally, um, constantly looking, looking over your shoulder, not knowing if you're going to walk out to the parking lot and get shot. Yeah. Um, those thoughts continually cross your minds. Um, and officers today are dealing with it. You have a lot of people uh, in the law enforcement community looking to get out uh, just because they don't feel like they have the support of their their local governments and, and the communities they work in. Um, it does have a tremendous impact on you mentally and emotionally. Yeah. And you try not to take that home. You pray that it doesn't. Um, and I think the only way I was able to get through it was my faith in Jesus Christ. And that was pretty much it. Um, but it is an overwhelming feeling when you feel hated by so much of the community. And there were times, you know, there was times you drive down the road and, and for no apparent reason, somebody will flip you off or, yeah. you know, just yell things at you. And you have, they don't know who you are. They don't know what you stand for. They've never met you before, but right. they hate you for the badge you're wearing. Right. So. And it has to be. Ten times worse today than it was back when you just said that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of it began, you know, within, you know, probably um, eight, ten years, eight, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, a lot of this really just started to get worse. I mean, I st- when I started, we had Rodney King shortly after I started, yeah. and that was bad. That was. So you had, and, and that was a bad situation, but you had bad moments throughout history. Throughout the, over, over my last 30 years, we've had bad moments, you know, and— uh, yeah, each moment is bad. This feels worse because this doesn't seem like it's going away. Right. Some moments you feel like they're bad, but then they kind of settle down. And sometimes these moments here seem like they're per- perpetual. You know, yeah. they just continue. How important is it or how meaningful for law enforcement in general, officers, leaders, um, to get an encouraging word from someone just on the street like, thank you for doing what you do or just thank you. Oh, yeah. How important is that to today's officers? It's extremely important. I think officers, they, they long to hear that. Um, they really do. Um, fortunately, here in Cedarville, I mean, it's very, they're very supportive of law enforcement here in Cedarville. Greene County overall uh, is fairly supportive. But, you know, if you're in, in some of even the bigger cities, just a kind word, um, yeah, it goes a long way because a lot of times they're, they're only getting the opposite from, from where they're sitting, you know. So it, is, it does mean a lot to them. I'm curious and this might be a better question for your wife, Tina. Yes. But I'll ask it to you because she's not here. Yeah. Um, what's it like on the family when you leave the, your house in the morning and go to work? I mean, it has to be in the back of their, your, Tina's mind, your mind, that you might not come home that night. Um, you know, for my wife, she has been a rock. She's been very um, supportive of what I've done. She hasn't always liked what I've done. Um, there are times I say, I will say she has handled it very well. Um, the moments that she doesn't are the times when, um, let's say I come home with a black eye 
or I've been in the hospital because I got hit or I got bit or, you know, I come, you know, I, I come home uh, after getting into a fight. Yeah. Um, those are those moments. Um, like when I was on SWAT, um, there were those moments where I had to stop telling her what I was going out for. Yeah. You know, so. You had to protect her. I had to protect her from what I was doing because she didn't want to know because she didn't want to have to worry. Right. And that's what, um, that's what we do as spouses. We worry about each other because we, we care right. for each other. Right. So it's understandable. Um, did you ever feel really threatened in your law enforcement days? Well, I've had a lot of times I felt very threatened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's times you feel fear. I mean, you, what you don't do is feel cowardice. Um, that's that's one thing you don't ever do, um, but I, I'd be lying if I did if I didn't say I felt fear on occasion. Um, yeah, you but you learn to adapt. You you learn to adapt that fear and just turn it into boldness. Um, you learn to to turn it so you never come across as being afraid. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a way of masking your fear. Um, that's why a lot of times cops are very bold. They've taken their fear and they've turned it into courage. And um, so there were times, yes, I was afraid, but you never show it. You always go in with courage, and, and you just pray that God brings you out safely. Oh. Yeah. I want to move just toward a little different area, and that's in the area of the effect of policing. Yeah. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, like in my profession of public relations, building strong relationships is paramount to being successful in what I right. do. And I think it's paramount to police officers being successful in their role as police officers. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have this thing called community-oriented policing. And really from our perspective, community or, so community-oriented policing is about being in the community, mm -hmm. making uh, and connecting with the community, um, you know, really in an in attempt to personalize who you are. Uh, a lot of them see you from a different lens, so we see things from different lenses. They see us, we see them, but this is a way of bringing community and police together. Um, but for us, really, community-oriented policing isn't about necessarily what we do. It's about who we are. We have to be relational people, and that doesn't mean just when I get out of the car and go up to a business and talk to them, but that means, means every interaction I have with people needs to be an opportunity for connecting with the public. I think that's how, I mean, it's not gonna always change perception of us, but it is a step in the right direction. Um, we have to be community-oriented police officers uh, in order to make an impact in the community. And that's not gonna happen if we're just sitting on our cruisers. We do have to get out and talk to people. So how have you been able to develop relationships with citizens, whether it's in Cedarville, Xenia, Oakwood, how have you done that uh, over the course of time? I do that just with uh, connecting, with communication. I'm a communicator. I like to communicate. I like to build relationships. And, uh, you know, I think people most of all want honesty. They want, they want officers with integrity. And uh, how I've kind of built relationships is just talking to people. They, a lot of times they're confused as to why we do what we do. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why do you guys do this? And just taking those moments to explain what we do, why we do it, and uh, just kind of shedding some light on that, I think that kind of opens up um, opens up more dialogue, and uh, it's a way of me being honest with them, and I think they see that, and I think that's how we de develop those relationships. So I have relationships in each community I've been in, just by starting honest conversations. You know, sometimes they don't, you know, you don't always like what we have to say. I mean, 
Sometimes truth hurts, but at least it's truth. How do you foresee your past experiences, past 30 years of experience, helping us at Cedarville in an area of campus security and just developing relationships? Yeah. So, um, you know, my 30 years of law enforcement have given me a perspective, okay? So I've been able to come into the security department with a slightly different perspective that has been here in the security department. Um, I see things differently. I see things sometimes like a defense attorney sees things, and I think that's helpful. Um, I can look at a policy, and I can look at the way things are being done and say, you know what, if I was a defense attorney, this is probably what I would say. Um, Based upon my experience, I did a lot of the investigations for Cedarville PD when I was there, so I kind of have that background in investigation and dealing with the courts and prosecutors and defense attorneys. So I think... Sometimes just having that experience makes me better at this job as well. So just coming in with that different perspective on law and liability, I think uh, definitely will help out the uh, Cedarville campus security. So for the final 10 minutes or so of the podcast, I want to just camp in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Because that's all about who who you are. Yeah. Um, Can you just... Start by sharing your testimony, like sure. how you met Jesus, when you met Jesus, when did Jesus become central to your life? Yeah. Um, so I was a missionary kid. So my mom and dad were missionaries with ABWE. We're in the Philippines. I was born in the Philippines. Um, I spent some time in New York and uh, in third grade, and that is when um, I... Uh, accepted Christ was when I was uh, seven years old. So I was at a young age. Yeah. Um, and during that time, you know, I just, I listened intently to my dad and took notes every Sunday. Um, as I got a little bit older, I did have a period of uh, kind of backsliding uh, in high school, um, all the while knowing that uh, I was sinning against Christ at that moment. And uh, at, uh, when I was about to go to college, my dad had to asked me, or told me, he said, I, I want you to do one year Bible college, that's it. Just give me one year. And he knew I was struggling. He knew I was uh, struggling with some some issues of sin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a hard ask for me because I knew, I think deep in my heart, I knew I wanted to, to stop doing what I was doing because right. I was convicted of what I was doing. Okay. And um, so out of respect for my dad, I went. I went to Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. And uh, if you know anything about faith, it was straight Bible college, very strict. And uh, me, I came with a six-pack of beer and, and my heavy metal music, and I figured I'd probably get kicked out in a couple weeks because of my language. And um, I just got it, brought some the right people into my life at that time. And, uh, and uh, I had actually... Um, Accepted an offer from the guys. I, I got a job at UPS working, and uh, and they had asked me to go out to a, a bar, and uh, I went out to this bar with them, and absolutely hated every moment of it. I sat there, convicted of where I was at. It was during Missionary Week. Oh wow! At, at the Bible College, and I just felt such conviction, and I was so ashamed of myself. And I went back, and it was that moment for me where I said, you know what? Grow up and be a man, okay? And you're walking both sides of the fence. 
and I felt like I had one foot on one side and one foot on the other, one foot in the world and one foot on, on the side of Christ. So I came to be a believer, and I knew I was, but I was walking like an unbeliever, and I decided at that moment, you are going to pick one side or the other. And that was my moment that I said, I'm done. And I went and threw out every, one, every tape that I had back then, um, and uh, that was when I uh, just made a commitment to, to uh, follow Christ and— uh, Ended up doing door-to-door, you know, witnessing with my church at that time, which was completely not what I was in, in high school, and um, and that was really my moment. And then after that is when I ended up coming to Cedarville University. Yeah, what, how did you get connected to Cedarville? My brother came to Cedarville. Yeah, he, my brother came to Cedarville College here, and he graduated from here. Um, and uh, so he went, and when I heard that they had a criminal justice program, I said, that's where I want to be, because right. I knew I wanted to be a cop at that time. Right. So that's how I ended up here. But you didn't stay here. Uh, well, I stayed here um, I stayed here from 88 to 91, and then I got hired on at the sheriff's office. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, just, you know, I didn't go, f- I went full-time, but then there were some moments because of lack of money, I had to go part-time, okay. so I didn't quite finished in my four years. And then the uh, sheriff's office uh, hired me and I said, okay, so I will, I'd yeah. rather get a job right now than finish college. So, so in a way, so in a way you, you did transfer to another school. Yes. But not, not in the traditional sense. Yeah. From, you mean to, to, to Liberty? Yes. 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 So yeah, when I found out that I, that uh, I needed a degree for this position, yeah. I, I hadn't finished yet. And when I found out from Doug Chisholm, he said, yeah, you need a degree. I went back full-time, a uh, year and a half full-time while I was working at First Cedarville PD okay. and finished up my degree. And I and this is a cool story, too, is when I had my first interview for this position was the day I got my, my diploma in the mail. Really? Yeah. When was that? Uh, that was uh, January 24th. I finished school December 18th, got my first interview January 24th, which is when I received my application in the mail. That's, that's a great story. I, I felt like that was, that was a God thing. That's confirmation, That was a confirmation it? to me. Yeah. yeah. So given your, your um, background in law enforcement and, and, and your real strong bent on following Jesus, yeah. who, who would you say are some of your mentors, professionally and spiritually? Um, you know, spiritually would be my dad. Um, my dad is, was, uh, my pastor growing up. Um, he and I really since, you know, I wasn't always the best uh, kid in high school, but as soon as I left and went to Bible college, he and I almost became like best friends. Um, so he's, uh, lives in Columbus right now. Um, he retired as a pastor, but still spends hours and hours in his study, um, writing sermons. And I'm talking, he showed me a book that was about 700 pages thick just from 1 Corinthians on sermons. Really? And that's what he does every day. So um, just growing up, he was an encouragement. If I ever needed uh, spiritual advice, I was calling my dad. Yeah. Um, so he would probably be um, probably at the top. Uh, a former pastor of mine, uh, Jim Riggle, was always uh, just really... Um, connected into mine and my wife's lives and just really um, had that way of speaking into our lives and just being an encouragement to us. Um, From a professional sense, I mean, it was really hard to find good Christian mentors in law enforcement. I really didn't have any. 
is that a dark profession uh, from a spiritual perspective? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's it's discouraging because uh, I see a lot of Christians come into law enforcement and then they shortly after they don't always act like Christians, and that's not true for everybody. I know I know right, quite that's a, a point. few. Yeah, yeah I qu- know quite a few that have remained strong. You know, um, but it is disappointing. I do see a lot. Um, that don't. It is somewhat of a dark profession. It's a lot of it's because of what you have to deal with on a daily basis. That's what I was going to ask. Is, is the yeah. pressure of the job? Yeah, it's the pressure of the job, and I think it's uh, you know you kind of blend into that culture. It's a tough, tough man uh, culture. So your attitudes get tough. You know, you become you know a little bit um, uh, uh, hard when it comes to dealing with public, dealing with people who are difficult. Um, I know for me personally, I hired a. I didn't deal well with uh, difficult people. They sent me to sometimes a, uh, a different level, um, and it wasn't always pleasant. Um, but those are things that, hindsight, looking back, I probably could have handled better. Um, but when you're immersed in that, you handle things a particular way, and um, usually it's pretty intense, a lot of uh, adrenaline, a lot of anger. Yeah. You know, maybe it does. Maybe it's not anger, but it comes across that way. Yeah. Um, it's controlled. Uh, uh, I'll say controlled anger, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's wrap up the podcast talking sure. uh, a little bit about your family. Yeah, um, I know you have a, a nice sized family. Uh, one thing I learned uh, from doing a little bit of research on you and Tina is that you adopted two boys from Ethiopia. Yes. What led you to adopt? What? Let's start there. What led you to adopt these boys? Um, it was back in 2010, and. Really, I, I think we feel like God was just kind of bringing things in front of our paths. Like what? Concerts. You go to concerts, all they'd talk about was adoption. Our, our other kids were saying, hey, we need to adopt. Right. Um, everywhere we went, we were seeing people with adopted kids. My one daughter had a uh, poster with African baby faces yeah. all over it, and and all of our kids were for it. We were... We had been thinking of it every time we turned around. We were hearing about it, and we just felt like that is what God was wanting us to do. So our hearts just really said, you know what, we need to do this. It wasn't that I already had four kids. I didn't, it's not like I wanted more. Uh, so now you have six. Now I have six, yeah. So, and what, what's the age span? Uh, oldest is 28, youngest is 15 now. 28 and 15. Yeah, 28 and 15. And you have at least one going here at Cedarville, right? No, I have one working oh, here at Cedarville. Working at Cedarville. Yeah, I got one working at Cedarville. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so we. Uh, it was just one of those things where um, we just felt God was leading us down that direction, really, to to, to fulfill the care for the orphans and widows yeah. in their distress. Yeah. You know? So to adopt, it's it's a it's a huge process. Yeah, it takes a lot of time usually. Yes, and it can cost a lot of money. So yes, how did God provide all these resources for you to walk down this path and Come home with two boys from Ethiopia. Yeah, so we um, we kind of began the process in 2010, and um, I had had a carpet cleaning business on the side. So a lot of cops and firemen they always have side businesses. Mine was carpet cleaning, um, and I was doing fairly well in it. Um, and that is kind of how I started uh, paying for the adoption. Right. Along the way, we continued to have people that would just donate money to us. I mean, people would hear you're adopting. Hey, here's a hundred bucks. Here's here's five hundred dollars. Here's twenty bucks. So we would take that money and we had a fund that we would put it into. Um, 
yeah, the cost of the adoption was very expensive, but God provided along the way more than we could ever even imagine. And that's actually part of our cool story. Um, <clears throat> so um, we had started the process 2010, come August of 2011, um, just before, uh, probably I'd say probably beginning of August, um, we had been to a uh, group, a meeting that had a bunch of uh, people who had adopted. The the adoption agency we were with, America World, um, they get adopted families together. So we were there and we were watching some of these families and some of them had kids that had severe problems. Some of them had HIV and all this. And um, we were just moved. We had actually had been saying, hey, we want a child from zero to four. We were wanting a baby. And uh, we were just kind of, in my opinion, we were limiting God at that time. And so we had gone to this uh, group meeting, and we just saw all these kids and kids with problems and issues. And we said, you know what, God, whatever you want. We said, God, we will take whatever with whatever problem they have. We don't care. We will take them. But we decided to put from zero to 10 because her youngest daughter was 11. Okay. So we just wanted to make sure they were under our biological kids. So we, when we decided that, and we told the adoption agency, we will not go from zero to ten, and we will take whatever you, whatever God decides to give us is what we will take. Right. Problems or not. Um, three days later, we get um, uh, an email with the photos of our two boys. Mm. No problems. Um, we were blessed in that. Um, we fell in love with them as soon as we saw them. And um, which, when we got them, we knew we had to. Um, so here's the money thing: we had seven days to come up with nine thousand seven hundred dollars, mm-hmm. plus three hundred dollars for a doctor um, evaluation of their medical records. You had to go to an international adoption clinic. Uh, one was Cincinnati, one in Columbus. We went. I think we went to the one in Cincinnati. It was three hundred dollars for that. Uh, about a day or two before, I just cleaned carpet for uh, some friends of ours, and she actually works here at the university. And um, and I cleaned her carpet. Um, I was just being kind, and I walked out, and I didn't make them pay me at all. I just actually went into their house, cleaned their house, and left and shut the door. And she, so when we got this photo, we'd called around to the doctor's offices, and they said it'd be $300. She walks up to the door with a $300 check, and we're like, okay, God. That's that's three hundred dollars right there that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I now need nine thousand seven hundred dollars. We had just about a week or two before that we had had a garage sale that our church uh, at the time was Shawnee Hills Baptist Church and the community who knew we were adopting. They started bringing stuff to our lawn. I had an entire driveway and lawn filled with stuff. So we made two thousand dollars in this garage sale oh, wow. with the help of neighbors and family, church family and all. And uh, so I had just made $2,000 from that. I had literally just sent a check out for around $7,000 and some to the adoption agency. And all of a sudden this happens and now I have to come up with $9,700 in one week. And I'm like, God, I need your help. So I had $2,000 already set up. I had my $300 doctor fee set up. So now I still needed uh, over seven thousand dollars, I needed uh, over. I think I had a few hundred other thousand, a uh, few hundred dollars saved up as well. At that point, three days later was Sunday. I needed seven thousand three hundred, around seven thousand three hundred dollars is what I needed. Um, our pastor said, um, 
we're going to do one-time offering. You know, we had been updating the the church on the adoption process, so yeah. they all knew about it. Uh, they did not know this um, offering was coming up, so they made the announcement. They took a one-time offering, and God provided seven thousand four hundred and twenty dollars, one hundred twenty dollars more than what we needed. That was confirmation. I raised, God raised $10,000 in three days, which was absolutely mind-blowing for us. You had to be so encouraged. Oh, we were encouraged. We were in tears. And honestly, I'm normally I tell this story, I'm in tears right. when I'm telling this, just because God is so good in how he provides and how he confirms things in your lives. It's like... Um, that was just confirmation for us. So that was that. That was kind of one of the final pieces. Uh, we still had more money to pay, but uh, God, uh, God was good and provided it. Bruce, it's uh, great to spend thirty plus minutes with you today. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, thanks for joining us at yeah. Cedarville University, and obviously for the podcast. Thanks for being my guest this week. It's been my pleasure. Great to have Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.